Welcome to Packet Pushes Heavy Networking. In today's sponsored show, we're talking with Christina Rodriguez from Intel on 5G and the artificial intelligence revolution there. Now on Packet Pushes, we have discussed the impact of artificial intelligence many times in the last, I don't know, year or two. And some vendors are using artificial intelligence to analyze data collected from customer networks to train AI models on network operations. And this software can make recommendations on troubleshooting and rectification. And more recently, we've seen artificial intelligence and machine learning building prepared AI models that can be delegated down to the edge of the network to integrate cybersecurity into the network. These applications at the network edge identify and react to security threats. And at the heart of all of this, software and this artificial intelligence is largely the use of the x86 platform and Intel Xeon CPUs in particular. And for 5G networks, we're seeing a massive transition of telcos deploying 5G POPs using containers and VMs for network functions. The era of custom hardware is fading away and the future is the rise of standardized infrastructure in mobile points of presence. And we're seeing applications like software-defined radios replace hardware radio decoding. We're seeing software-based firewalls instead of custom uh, hardware with firewall software on board. We're seeing accounting uh, functions move to the edge of the network and so on. And that is largely the topic that we wanted to talk about today is the nature of the transition of hardware in the 5G network and even what the 5G network enables. But I think we'll leave that one for another day and focus on how the Intel Xeon platform is bringing messaging there and how it's redefining the compute around the edge of that network. So joining us today is Christina Rodriguez. She is Vice President of the Data Center Group and the General Manager of the Wireless Access Network Division. Christina, welcome to the show. Let's dive right in. What is virtualization and how does it relate to the momentum we're seeing with 5G from your point of view? Now you're bringing the Intel point of view. So virtualization and, and how it's creating the 5G momentum that we're seeing today. Sure, and it's, it's great to be here by the way. So virtualization is about taking functionality that used to run in hardware, uh, in hardware, in purpose-built hardware, and making it run in software. So now the network function is now a software function. And uh, when we're seeing this transformation, and, and we at Intel have been leading the industry in this transformation, is starting at the core of the network more than, more than a decade ago, and now extending that into the radio access. So there, I think part of the transition here is that, that 4G was a network largely built on the 3G principles. And it was mostly built of this custom hardware. And this was from the radios right the way down to the servers. We had custom right. appliances running firewalls and 3G PPP gateways and all that type of stuff. But what does virtualization mean in the terms of the 5G context? Are we talking about virtualization as in network functions virtualization, where we're using software firewalls and software accounting systems at the edge? Or is it to do with just more bandwidth? Do we need more compute to handle more bandwidth and more customers? When we're talking about virtualization of the RAN, if you look at the, the multiple stack that made the RAN, you have your layer one or five, you have layer two and uh, layer three and, and, and above, right? All days so starting mm -hmm. with the five and then it comes the schedulers, and, and then it comes all the control that, that has to happen in that run. So what we're talking about when we say virtualizing the run, we're saying running all of that, everything in software. And, and why do we want to do that? By, by doing that, 
you have now much more uh, flexibility and scalability. We are not constrained by what you have dimensioned in the hardware. You have now the cloud economics. You are running your software on a server, Intel Xeon server, that mm. can scale up and down, and you can have uh, software upgrades and you can uh, complement and, and add on to that the workload all the way through the entire software stack. Just give you a lot more uh, flexibility, scalability, agility, and of course, the cost of ownership that goes all the way from the actual round workload to your specific application. So we've got all of the agilities there, you know, all the illities, as I sometimes call them, which is that flexibility and upgradability. But I think the one that I like most about the software enablement of 5G, and in fact, there's two things I like about software enablement in 5G. One is the fact that we're shifting away from this, I bought a hardware firewall, and if I want to upgrade it, I have to send someone out to be there to babysit it because its way of upgrading is radically different from every other one. And this idea of using VMs and containers and service meshes and networking, steering the data through the network changes the way we think about the functions that happen in the 5G pop, right? Very true. Exactly. You got it right. It's a, it's a, it's a new way to do things, a new way to architect the network, to deploy it, and then to operate it, right? Imagine how, how different it is when you are changing software in, in, instead of changing hardware when you want to upgrade or when you want to mm-hmm. do maintenance. And, and that's uh, uh, the other thing that, uh, that is uh, very interesting to me, and you, you were talking about, mentioning about software, is how much open up to innovation and, uh, and, and, and new features, right? Imagine the yeah, amount, yeah. right? Imagine the amount of developers that exist in the world that know how to program for Intel architecture, right? For our Intel Xeon process. Now you have millions of developers that can go and innovate and create. Now we're talking not only the basic uh, workload, uh, run workload, but all the way up to their application that, that can go and, and bring new values to uh, not only for the consumers, but also for the, for the enterprise, which is a very important piece of, uh, of 5G. What you're alluding to there is the fact that if I've got a VM and it contains a software firewall, I can upgrade it because it's a VM. I can reboot the VM, but I can also back up the VM and upgrade it. And if the upgrade fails, I just return the VM to its previous image. Now, that's fairly... Uh, new in telco land. In telco land, they've been hardware huggers for the better part of 50 years. Is it really really likely they're going to do this? Like, are you really saying that, yeah, no, just go and buy a standardized server, use the Intel Xeon platform with all the functions. We'll we'll touch on some of the features and functions of the platform later on. Are they really going to do that or are they just, because sometimes telcos say one thing and do another, you know, speak with forked tongue type stuff. This is happening, Greg. This this is happening. We're seeing it. The, the the operators are seeing the advantage of it. By the way, this is something that's been done by uh, the hyperscalers uh, companies, right? By by the cloud companies, mm-hmm. and it's something that's been done in the core and uh, has been a success there. To today, more than fifty percent of the core network is virtualized. So it is a little bit a little bit more, I would say, complex in the in the RAN because it's a more it's a complex. Um, 
a sub-segment that, that uh, you know, we're doing this for the first time, but still it, it is without a doubt happening. What, what happened, and you, you, you got it exactly right, what happened is now we're gonna, we're having virtualized, virtual network functions, right? Or what we're calling it right now, cloud native network functions. These cloud native network functions are running within a container, exactly what you said, right? And now this container inherit all the cloud principles that are there to inherit. They, you, you mentioned it, the agility, the flexibility, but also yeah. the resilience, right? The observability. Yeah. So, so when you, exactly, when you want to upgrade it, you upgrade it. When you want to go back, you go back. It gives you a tremendous flexibility that you can get to it unless you have this type of architecture. So the other part about 5G is that they're promising us two things about 5G from a customer perspective. One is increased bandwidth and the other one is lower latency. So let's tackle the increased bandwidth. But now part of this is limited by the 5G spectrum and the radio things that happen at the top. But there's a massive transition here about how we can deliver more bandwidth to customers. And one is because we're using software-based firewalls and software-based network functions, we can scale them up and down. Instead of having to buy one hardware that operates at 100 gig, I can just put in a few more Xeon servers and suddenly I've got extra capacity and I can run extra firewalls. I just load balance them over the available instances. But I think the one that we don't see talked about in terms of bandwidth is the impact of software-defined radio. Do you want to have a go at that and explain that to people? Yeah, yeah. You have to look at it end to end, right? The whole, the whole thing and the additional bandwidth, as you said, it is at the radio. By the way, if you are like me, when I drive a bike constantly, I'm looking up. Oh, there's a 5G radio there <laughs> all the time telling my kids, hey, kids, look, 5G. My kids, of course, totally unimpressed with it. But, but it's, you know, it's, it's uh, we're in this uh, discovering of uh, 5G radios around any city that, I'm, uh, that I am in. Uh, and it's a fascinator, right? But yes, that, you know, we're seeing radios that, that went from uh, 44R to, you know, 6040, 64R and, and, and going uh, beyond that. And that just gives you the capacity of that, of that radio. And of course, the spectrum, right? If it's sub six or it's millimeter wave, all that have, uh, have the, you know, starting with uh, C band, right? The new, mm, mm. the new band that gives you a lot more bandwidth, millimeter wave, and more. So, so all that, all that comes uh, comes into place. And uh, and then it's that end to end architecture, right? You have to have the baseband, as you know, the radio access networking is the more uh, basic form. I'm gonna say is the, the base station and that base station has a, a baseband unit and a radio unit, right? And, and those things have to play along and, and give you the bandwidth that, that unit. And the, the radio unit, by the way, is what is connected then uh, to the antennas in the, in the cell towers. So you have to have that flexibility in the, mm. in the baseband and the uh, unit. And you have to have also a radio unit that, that allows that uh, uh, bandwidth to come to place that you can have all those signals and, and make sense of them and, and having a very efficient expectation. Yeah. So yeah. radio, as you said, is a, is a very interesting topic in the industry because right now you require a lot of different radios in order to address all the bandwidth. So yeah, and it was imagine. all done analog and it consumed so much power. We had these, the radio signal would be coming off the antennas and it would be fed into these analog electronics bypass filters and the signal would then be 
uh, handled it as an analog signal, and then eventually, finally, it would be decoded into a data. And it went through four or five hops before it became digital signal that could then be processed into IP packets. And it used to be into a 3GPP fame format, and we even had to pick the IP out of that, whereas 5G actually shifts to this native IP network. And, in fact, the signal comes off the back of the radio, as I understand it, gets fed into a software-defined radio and basically one hop and there's IP data streams coming out. Yeah, and what that gives you, if you could imagine having all those multiple radios in order to uh, to address your entire bandwidth, right, or, or all the possible bands, then you have to manage all these multiple multiple type of uh, type of radios. If you have a soft radio approach, then you can reuse your uh, your platform. You can reuse your your basic uh, units. And the other mm. thing you mentioned something very important, which is uh, power consumption, right? One of the most important uh, aspects in this industry is the, the consumption at the cell tower, right? These are, these are big, uh, uh, big, uh, big numbers, and it, it, it makes a difference, especially when we have a, a, a society that cares about sustainability and the power consumption. It's an important topic for, for many of us. So being able to reduce the power to have mm-hmm. radio that are highly efficient and reduce the power is a very important. I remember reading recently about a telco that's got a substantial 5G footprint and it, they are saying that at 10 o'clock at night, they shut off uh, two in 50% of their 5G infrastructure to save power uh, because, the, the, because the 5G signal is at very high frequency. It doesn't carry so far. So they have to install... Uh, 16 times as many to get the same density, to get the same coverage. And they consume not more power, like the 5G pops themselves consume less power compared to the old ones, but the signal doesn't go as far. And this is, this, this is one of these things where I hear experts talk about, and you're, you're much more informed than I am. But that's probably great, by the way, something related to the millimeter wave, right? As you, mm-hmm. as you have higher frequency, the length way of the of the signal, the signal propagates mm. less, right? It's just yeah. coming from being a, a wavelength that is shorter and then doesn't propagate as, as much as say uh, lower yeah. frequency, right? Yeah, that's just but it has a higher bandwidth, so it's, it's good and bad. <laughs> that's the that's the trade-off. It has higher exactly. bandwidth because you can carry much more data on the signal, but the exactly. range is much less. Yes. So you need more pops to cover the same physical space, but you can carry more bandwidth per channel. You can, you can pipeline, other, you, can, you have a bigger pipe there to, to put data, to put data yeah, on it. Exactly. That's right. And this is what we've learned from Wi-Fi is, although we can do lots of tricks, as soon as it's a shared medium, you get congestion points when you have simplex communication. The, the secret of a good Wi-Fi deployment to a large extent is to define good put. That is, get the signal on the channel, get it off the channel, and then leave the, free, the channel free, the route, the IRF spectrum free for the next transmitter to come on board. And that is what 5G is about, is that software-defined radios are doing things like MIMO and beam forming, and they're analyzing where the handset is and saying, can I map the signal out of these antennas? These are all things that just weren't possible before. Exactly. Uh, so the technology, that's, that's very true where we are, and this is why... 5G is such an inflection point is is because there is 5G with everything that comes with it, but also the technology is ready for that. Massive MIMO, beam forming, the ability to direct that 
signal to the to the end user and and have a very efficient uh, beam. I'm gonna say all that wasn't there before. We can mm. we are able to do that. The the similar by the way we're talking about virtualization and everything else. We're at a point where the technology, if if you look at what we can offer with our Intel Xeon a scalable processor, I give you a data point by the way. Mm. We just launched in April we launched our uh, newest third generation of Intel Xeon scalable processor. And with that, we are able to double uh, the throughput for a massive MIMO uh, deployment, uh, best in class. We did the same, by the way, uh, power envelope, which is, which is key. We are able to do three by 100 megahertz, uh, 60-40, best in class. That's that's what we have. Mm. That's what we have in technology right now. We can do that now that we weren't able to do it before. And the thing here, just to contrast this, ten years ago you would have made a custom chip, a DSP, and you would have welded it to a motherboard and then put an a CPU, an x86 CPU on the side, or some other you know type yeah. of infrastructure just to run that DSP with a bunch of custom software. And now it's built into the CPU. Exactly. Yes, you can do everything right there on the CPU. It's the same. You have a common platform that you can scale down and up. You can deal with all the different bands, right? The low band, the 700 megahertz. You can deal with your C band. You can deal with millimeter wave. You can do uh, mm. macro or micro or small cells. And it's the same, your same common platform running the same software. We have a software that we call FlexRun reference software. And this is the entire implementation of the RAN workload. And it's, it will, it's, it's there. Right? You can have the same implementation to run in all those different multi-bands, again, different deployments, different uh, uh, frequency bands, and uh, you can use it with the same, the same, uh, the same configuration, the same or, or the same, or you configure it different, but the same architecture. So you've poked the, the FlexRan um, implementation here, maybe what we need to explain. We talk a lot on Packet Pushes about Open RAN, which is the idea that many of the functions in the radio access network, which runs at the 5G edge, are actually being opened up in to consume open source for substantial parts of this. Instead of it being a proprietary stack from start to finish, from you know operations to software to the applications to the routers to the you know all the stuff in the middle to the radio software. You're seeing a movement by the telcos to use open software and open RAN is one. And you talked about flex RAN, which I think is a slightly different version or is it a fork of open RAN? It is a fundamental piece of what the industry is trying to do. Right? You, you said it very well. Open RAN is about open interfaces, is about running uh, the entire workload in general purpose uh, processor and bringing intelligence into into the run, right? It's a combination mm. of all those things. That's what we are leading the industry with, with having our Intel Xeon scalable processors at the heart of, uh, of, that, uh, of that architecture. And mm. then having this, uh, having our flex run software being a starting point for that, uh, for, for the implementation of that, right. uh, our customers and the industry can go and innovate on top of that, right? Can create their own 
uh, flavors and the differentiation. And I think it's important because you still have to have uh, differentiation <laughs> there, but there is the ability to create, to bring that innovation and create that uh, uh, final uh, deployment based on, on different flavors. So what you're alluding to, let me try and read that back to you and check that I understood it. What you're alluding to there is OpenRAN and FlexRAN aren't so much about saying, here's your firewall, here's your load balancer, here's your accounting software, here's your software-defined radio. It's more about defining the APIs for these elements to come together and be coherently managed. Is that right? Yeah, I, I think that's definitely right. That's definitely part of it, having those open interfaces that allow to combine products and, and components from multiple vendors, right? Now, right, it's important, yeah. I would say, that that has to be done. I think the, we get the maximum out of it when this is done in a cloud-native a virtualized kind of architecture. I think that's a component that sometimes I would say we don't talk enough in the industry, but it's important, right? That because yeah. it's that cloud architecture what is going to give you the flexibility and the agility and the participation of so many players that can bring innovation into the entire stack. Oh, yeah. So really it's about opening up the 5G pop into pieces and then letting more people bring their... Comp- whereas before you went to one or two radio access network providers, and you had to buy their entire stack. And you didn't get to choose the pieces that went in it. You see the signed a contract with company A or company B, and that was it. And that leaves you with a single supplier strategy, which can be a weakness as well as a strength, but it leaves you with lacking the ability to innovate in your network. So this opens up telco 5Gs to actually say, I want to change from this firewall to that firewall, or I want to have my load, I want to have one load balancer for this function, and another load balancer for this function. Right. It brings more participation of the ecosystem. And that's why it's so important. I, I say it all the time. This is an ecosystem effort. This is an industry effort where multiple components are going to come to life together. And, and we need that, that a strong, vibrant uh, ecosystem, which, by the way, we're very fortunate at Intel to have. We have, uh, mm. we have uh, great partners that uh, we have been working on for many years on proof of concept and trials, and now we're finally uh, going into uh, deployments, uh, commercial deployments at scale. Now, Christina, one of the other things that we talk about in 5G and we see a lot of analysts get very excited about is the idea that there is, uh, that 5G is going to somehow deliver a low latency network. Now, historically, we've seen low latency networks not be overly successful. We've seen MPLS networks, these private networks with service guarantees be pretty quickly replaced with SD-WAN and the public network. Is there something about 5G and low latency that is unique and special that would go against that trend? Yeah, no, for sure, right? Here's, here's what happened with uh, 5G. When we talk about 5G and latency, you have to talk, we have to talk about edge too, right? The build out of the edge. And what does that mean? The, the build out of the edge, what it means is that we are going to bring the the compute capability closer to where the data is being generated, right? So so rather than the data having to travel all the way to the data center and back, we mm. are processing that data closer to what is uh, what is uh, generated. So you can see if you look at the you know if you can imagine you can see it, 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 uh, you can see in the picture right not only a, a, a big data center, but you have many smaller data centers distributed in your yeah. network where you can go and, and do 
and do uh, data processing. And when we talk about um, and about five years, it's also, by the way, one of the features of uh, the release 17 in the in the 3GPP release 17 is is also what is called ultra reliable low latency. So now there is a standard there. One needs to be supported. One needs to happen mm, mm. in the in, in in when it comes to that ultra reliability low latency uh, uh, requirement, right? And and standards. Yeah, yeah. So when you do that, if you if you think about it, the mission control kind of uh, use cases, you know, we're talking about I don't know autonomous driving. My favorite. I can't wait for not having to drive. So my favorite. Use case. That's gonna. I'm gonna be the. That's gonna. I'm gonna be the first one there. Autonomous driving, fully right. Autonomous driving, uh, remote surgery, right? Um, uh, you know, or, or some industrial, you know, IoT, uh, robotic kind of uh, use cases. All that now do we have a standard in the first place, right? Coming from 3GPP with that ultra URLC. And mm. uh, and and that helps, and then and then th- that builds out of the edge, which which now means you have this, you have your your server capability closer to the user processing that data. See, a lot of the times we solve our latency problems just by increasing bandwidth, and part of what five G will do to improve latency will be to go faster, literally, because we jump from you know data rates at tens of megabits per second to data rates at hundreds, maybe gigabits per second. Latency is kind of a solved problem in 5G. And the idea that you're going to isolate it with URLLC uh, for specific things is fine, but I'm not sure if it's ever going to be a big deal. Or is it it because you're saying, do you think telcos believe that it's um, actually going to work this time? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And I think it's you have to see it all together, right? It's bandwidth, that's very important. Bandwidth is important for that. It's the performance of the network, the, the speed at which you can go. But, but again, if you have to, that's, that's why I keep uh, going back to that. If you have to send your data all the way to the data center and back to process it, that, that's hard to overcome. But if you can process the data right there, very close to where the data is generated, then you can do a lot of things to, with that. You, I give an example, all the many applications that we're seeing in video. You know how video is the, the workload, right? We, mm. we, if you have teenagers at home, you know, you know that for sure, the, the, the video gaming and the, the, the live streaming, the, the mm. 360, and, and then any all kind of uh, fancy applications, uh, you know, the, 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 the uh, video conference with uh, uh, with all those uh, kind of, uh, again, of uh, fancy yeah, yeah, yeah. feature, right? If you're going to process that all the way, if you have to send that all the way, miles away, and then back, there, there's, you couldn't deal with that. But if you can bring that processing closer to the, to the user, then, then you, that's, that's a completely different, a different story, right? That, that then you are able, you have to have, if we, if we want to make 5G, all the use cases of 5G reality, you have to have not only the 5G standards, but you also have to have the build out of the of the edge. And, and there's another piece that I know you're going to get to it, mm. where we also can benefit, can, can, can uh, give us a, a, a tremendous benefit artificial intelligence, which I know at some point you're going to, you're going to, you're going to ask me about it, but having a smart, intelligent 
networks that that does traffic steering yeah you know utilize better your bandwidth that's going to be very important yeah i guess i'm a little cynical about that because we've been talking about video streaming and video conferencing as low latency for well i've been in networking for 30 years 35 years and we've been saying that low latency networking is is a requirement and yet 35 years later it's not what we just needed was more bandwidth and i kind of like I hear what you're saying and I can see the use cases. I can see the telemedicine or the, the mission critical, but I can also look around and say, we don't use any of those things on low latency networks today. Why do we suddenly need them now? So to me, that's an open question, but I also understand that vendors need to address, you know, if customers say, I need a low latency network, you want to be able to stand there with a product and say, I've got something for you in case that's actually a real requirement. Yeah, I think you said it's, a, it's an evolution first, and then it's, a, you know, it, it's, uh, it's beyond that. We, we talked about it earlier today, when we, we, you know, a few minutes ago. Mm. It's about the technology being ready. 10 years ago, 20 years ago, the technology wasn't ready. Now we have, not only we have the spectrum, right, the C-band spectrum, a millimeter wave spectrum, we also have the massive MIMO antenna and the yeah. massive MIMO radio, and then we have the technology that they, at the heart of that uh, baseband, we have what the Intel Xeon scalable processor, for example, can do with uh, with all the features in the micro architecture, but also accelerations, everything that uh, that makes possible to do that that we didn't have uh, before, and it's faster and faster, right? Yeah, that, yeah like I said, if we, we solve the bandwidth problem, I suspect we'll solve the latency problems for most people, but that doesn't mean that there's not necessarily use cases that are waiting to take it up. And then you also have the problem with stitching low latency chains together. If I'm on this 5G, then I have to stitch it into the network core. So I've got an IP optical core, that optical core needs to transition from a 10 gig or a one gig uplink to a hundred gig or 400 gig or 800 gig in the backbone to to be able to do low latency. And historically, telcos haven't done well with the end-to-end nature of services, in my opinion. So hopefully they can transition, which leads me into my point. Another part about software operated or, or moving away from traditional operational models is the idea that AI and analytics can change the way we do 5G RANs. And it comes down to this idea that if I'm operating it with software, I can start to use artificial intelligence to train models of operation, to train cross engines to operate a certain way and, and to actually start changing the way the, the cost of owning these networks. Is that right? Is that how we see it? It is that there is so much uh, more, so much innovation and possibilities that come with uh, with AI, with artificial intelligence applied to the to the run. And, and for me it's one fascinating uh, topic and uh, uh, we are doing uh, we're doing a lot on it and, and seeing what is fascinating is seeing the amount of innovation that is coming from the ecosystem, uh, from from multiple uh, uh, partners that we are working uh, that we're working with. The, the idea here is that you can your network can learn from from the behavior of the network, can learn and then make decisions based on that, right? So if you could how how AI uh, works, right? You use uh, the data, you collect data to, to come up with models and train those models in a behavior of the, of the network. And then you use that to do inferencing on the new data that is coming. And then you, you continue doing that. And um, 
what you the result of that is that multiple things, right? It goes from uh, traffic steering, you know, more uh, smarter traffic steering to how do you allocate your resources? And this could be your radio resources, but it could be also your CPU uh, resources. And, and we certainly have a lot of features that uh, provide tele telemetry. And, uh, and then you can, based on that, you can, uh, again, you have a more efficient, you could do, by the way, you, you were mentioning, uh, we were talking about the energy consumption and, and how mm. some operators are uh, turning, turning off a part of the network at certain times. So you, the, the network can learn behaviors. Should I, you know, should I put some pieces to sleep or not? And, uh, and we have, by the way, also a very interesting features that, that, that can provide you with, uh, with tools to be more uh, energy efficient. So, so it goes from resource utilization, energy efficiency, how do you uh, provision your, your, uh, your network in a way that, uh, again, you're not statically over-provisioning for, for, for the more uh, uh, difficult use case uh, mm. to, you know, how do you be more efficient uh, in, with, with, your, with all your yeah. Resources. Yeah, I think to me, this whole artificial intelligence, although most of the time it's statistics or deep learning, it's not even machine learning or artificial intelligence, but let's leave that aside for now. Um, this whole idea, artificial intelligence is the idea that software can do some of the operational activities without all human, without it being all manually operated, without somebody pulling the levers and poking coal into the furnace like a steam train sort of thing. And to me, this is one of the most exciting changes. And the fact is that if you're running AI models at the edge of the network, you need hardware acceleration to get the best out of them. You, you need capabilities, right? You need, yeah. uh, you need capabilities. And uh, doesn't necessarily have to be uh, an additional accelerator. It's, uh, again, we have, we, and, and we're, we're having, the, uh, as I said, multiple innovations going on, but we have, capabilities in our, uh, again, Intel Xeon scalable processor that, that allowed you to do those, uh, those, kind of, those kind of things. And that can be used to, uh, to, to help in the, in the full picture, right? How do you, how do you have a, a, a run intelligent controller and how do you make the best, uh, the best decision for your network? It's, it's incredibly exciting, actually, because one of the things that I've struggled with with telcos, my lived experience of dealing with the services that were given is it's, it's like um, it's, it, they promise you this customized service that meets certain SLAs, but the experience that we got as customers was less than excellent. And the, for the first time, I actually think the telcos will be in a situation to take control of the software to be able to deliver a service that we want. And I also think they have to because technologies like SD-WAN and internet are changing the dynamics, the cut, like the customer dynamics. They're not dependent on the telcos like we were before. And the telcos have to increase their service levels. And I think this, I think a lot of the things about 5G is it actually makes the service providers, the people operating these networks really stand up and say, we need to be flexible. We need to be able to move faster, but we also need to be able to control costs but we don't have to deliver all this crazy stuff that we used to deliver in years gone by. Well, and the other thing, the other thing that I would say also, all these, one of the, one of the more exciting things for me on, on, on 
on artificial intelligence that I think it will help uh, to boost the the uh, the role of the brand. I'm gonna say in the in both mm. in, in in consumers and enterprise is that AI will allow the combination of uh, this flexible virtualized uh, network, cloud native network with intelligence coming from from AI will allow the operators to explore new uh, services and new business models, right? You could mm-hmm. now have um, multiple or different SLAs that, that can, uh, you know, can operate in different, in different uh, situations in, in the future, right? And, yeah. uh, you know, net, network slicing, by the way, is another, is another example. You want to be able to, to address different use cases without having to over-provision your network. Right. So, so I'm going back to my favorite one, autonomous driving, right? If I'm driving uh, in my or, or sitting, reading a book uh, in, in my autonomous uh, driving car and I'm, I'm driving by a college, say campus, I don't want my bandwidth to be affected because, you know, they, they, there is a mm-hmm. new movie that all, you know, everybody on campus is uh, downloaded on a new video game or whatever, right? Yeah. So, so having right, so having that network slicing and having that that SLA that that protects that that, that use case is, is going to be very important for the future. I, I think there's a use for that, but I don't think it's as big as it used to be. Like MPLS was used for network slicing so that we could slice it up, but and I think there there are customers who will extract value from it, but I suspect that customers are going to be much more discerning in the future. They expect that when they get a network slice it's going to perform. And more importantly, customers have analytics and monitoring that they never used to have before. And they're going to be watching the telcos to say, oh, I see that you promised me this level of service and you're not meeting it. Um, I think the future of networking in that sense, especially with 5G, is going to be very different to what we see today. No, no doubt, right? No doubt that it's already, you see the the, the customers are getting more sophisticated. The customers are getting also, I would say, more demanding on the type of service and, and the, 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 the bandwidth for sure that, that they, are, they are getting, even if your customer is your mm. 50 years old in a, in playing a, in a video game. Um, so, so there's going to be there. And, and, and I think the future is going to be a lot about that user experience, right? We, uh, recently, I was having a conversation about a video and how, you know, the, how customers want, and this is in the consumer side, how mm-hmm. customers want to be their own digital direct, right? So you are watching a video and you want to be able to transfer the video to your phone if you have to go check something outside the room or you want to choose uh, the next, uh, you know, the, the end of the movie, you, you know, all, all kind of mm-hmm. all kind of things. So, so that user experience, and it's going to, Yes, and I, I understand that it's, uh, it's a difficult conversation to have uh, with a customer to say, no, I can't give you bandwidth because I have these other use yeah, cases that, yeah. that is more important than that because I, you know, <laughs> somebody's having well, uh, these other more uh, uh, constrained. But so, uh, but there case, are differences right? this time around. There are some really radical differences. Like when I look at an Intel server, it's got this Xeon CPU that's got these features that we talked about in terms of accelerating your performance, but you've also got network accelerators, you've got Ethernet adapters that are way faster than ever before, you've got Optane-type memory architectures that you can use to accelerate your VMs and your containers if that's what you need 
And more importantly, aside from all the hardware, you've got software toolkits. These features that take advantage of all these hardware acceleration features are all built into Linux. And if you want to be using eBPF, then you run it on a Xeon server and all of a sudden you can get 400 gigs of data throughput out of a pretty standard Xeon you know, type of capability, even, even doing advanced data processing on the load. There's a massive transition happening here. Massive, and, and that goes back to the readiness of the technology, the, the, the roadmap that uh, the product that we have today and the roadmap that, uh, that we are having in front of us. We have, uh, again, a, a very rich uh, portfolio of IP networking, and we have been working and putting a lot of investment in our roadmap. Mm. And I, we were just, I was just mentioning what we get with the Intel, the newest uh, third generation of Intel Xeon scalable processor. And, you know, having been able to do the three by 100 megahertz, 64T, 64R, that's, that's, uh, that's yeah. definitely something, right? That's, uh, that. It is kind of boggling. All of that does, but you've got to be really, really into that. Unfortunately, we're running out of time for today's show. And I want to thank Intel for sponsoring today's show and for Christina to coming on to being a great guest to keep throwing out some viewpoints there on 5G that I hadn't thought about. And then uh, taking the challenge to come back at me on some of the key points, which is makes a good discussion either way that you want to look at it. If you want to find out more about what you've heard today, head on over to networkbuilders.intel.com. That is their website where a lot of Intel information relating to networking is actually held. There's a lot of white papers there. If you wanted to get up to speed on the various features of network acceleration and how the crypto engines work inside of the, the Xeon, new, new Xeon platform, there's a bunch of white papers there that you can get a hold of. And as always, you should remember that Packet Pushes has this and many other fine free technical podcasts up on our website at packetpushes.net. If you like it, it would be really helpful if you could go and click the like button and say, oh, maybe just tell your friends at work that listening to the Packet Pushes has made your day or not, as the case may be. Uh, And as always, remember that too much networking would never be enough.